Hey, my dear, welcome back to the Self-Care Keto Podcast. I am your Self-Care Keto Coach, Jess, and I'm bringing you a magical experience to help release the weight from your body and your soul. Today, I want to talk to you about loving all of your parts, and I am not talking about body parts today, so if that's (laughs) making you squeamish already, that's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about loving all parts of yourself. And after recording episode 123 called How to Make Failure Impossible, which bottom line up front, the way to make failure impossible is through love because love never fails. If you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go back and listen to it. But along the course of your weight loss journey, you'll always have both love and fear present with you. And this is not just true about your weight loss journey. It's true true about any goal that you're approaching or anything in life that you're dealing with there's always present both fear and love. And we always have the choice of which one of these things are we allowing to drive the car on this road trip. And it's not about getting rid of fear, um, but it is just about whenever you notice that you're operating primarily through the energy of fear, that you can make that conscious shift into love and it will change your experience of what's happening. So that's a fantastic episode to listen to. You don't have to listen to it before you listen to this one, but after recording that one, I was inspired to create this one uh, because you know it leaves a lot of like actual questions of like, well, okay, great. I want to shift from fear to love, but like, how do I actually do that? And so today, I want to share with you guys a tool that has been so powerful for me in helping me to love myself, and I use it with my clients all the time, and. I am going to share a little bit more about this tool that goes by different names. Sometimes it's called parts work. Uh, Sometimes it's called internal family systems. In other words, um, (laughs) internal, like inside of you, you have a family of different mm, pieces of you. So different parts of you, different parts of your personality, and you're all like one family inside of yourself and uh, operating inside of a system, right? So it's sometimes called internal family systems. I like to call it parts work uh, because I feel like that describes it a little bit more simply. But this is something that I want to give credit to the creator, Richard Schwartz. He created internal family systems therapy, and it is a fantastic mode of therapy. I'm not a therapist. I am a life coach, but I like to understand um, a lot of the concepts that are done in therapy because these are tools to help people regardless of the setting that you're using them in. But you know, you can actually become like a licensed um, practitioner or certified in you know internal family systems therapy um, and some other modalities that have like really helped me for tools for self love is the Enneagram. I love to talk about that one all the time, and then also um, schema therapy is something that has been really really profoundly helpful for me. Just in all of these things, whether it's parts work, Enneagram, and um, schema therapy. There's so many different tools, constructs, modalities out there, but the whole purpose behind them really is to build some self-awareness and some self-compassion. Because once you can kind of have an appreciation for the root of this aspect of your personality or behavior, then you can love it, right? And so there's this saying, like, if you want to let something go, you have to love it first. And at first I really resisted that (laughs) 
I'm always the type of person that was like, no, get that the hell away from me. I don't want to think about that. You know, I'm just going to exert self-control and dominate over this part of myself. And I'm actually pretty good at doing that, right? Um, And so it doesn't make it healthy just because I was really good at doing it. Some people are not as good at doing it, like they self-discipline or whatever doesn't come as naturally to them. It is something that comes pretty naturally to me. And so actually, I think that backfired for me in the long run because I was able to keep a lot of these um, self-sabotaging things at bay and just kind of keep them hidden in the closet. Um, Whenever they come up to the surface, it's actually such an amazing opportunity to practice love and to love that part of yourself. And that's actually the thing that will resolve it because that's all we're really wanting is love. And I heard this really powerful thing literally just yesterday. And it put it put this concept into such simple words for me and I wrote it down immediately. And I want you to write it down too because it is so helpful and so profound. Like write it down, turn it into a screensaver, turn it into your affirmation, whatever it takes. But here it is. Everything is either an act of love or a cry for love. So everything in your life Every behavior that you're doing, whether you like it or not, it's either an act of love or a cry for love. Same thing with the other people in your life. Every behavior, whether you like it or not, is either an act of love or a cry for love. And when you look at it through that lens, it completely shifts your experience of it. Your experience of yourself, your experience of your motivation, your experience of the other person. It's so powerful. Everything is either an act of love or a cry for love. So when you think about this in terms of the behaviors that you're unhappy with in your life, we would call these things self-sabotage, right? The ways that we block ourselves (laughs) from getting to a goal. And let's talk specifically about weight loss because that's what we're here for. We do this all the time. Um, You say you're going to follow some certain kind of plan or strategy, and then you do you do not do that thing, right? For whatever reason that it happens to be. And then usually we just get so angry and so frustrated with ourselves when we say, why do I keep self-sabotaging? Right. And so the word self-sabotage, like I get it and I use it because I feel like people instantly understand the concept. But I feel like that language is actually really inaccurate and really problematic because sabotaging yourself, it almost makes you feel like you're hurting yourself or you um, hate yourself, right? Like what, what is this thing in me that keeps wanting to hurt me, right? And it doesn't want to hurt you. It wants to love you. It's actually a form of protection, self-sabotage, whatever you think that thing is in you that is self-sabotage. It's actually self-protection and it's actually self-love. It's either an act of love or a cry for love. Every time you are not doing what you said you wanted to do. It's an act of love or it's a cry for love. And how drastically that can change your experience of it when you really put it through that filter to show some curiosity and say, hmm, interesting, this thing that I feel upset about or frustrated about or whatever, how is this an act of love towards myself or how is it a cry for love from myself? And to go from there. So what is love? (laughs) What a deep meta question, right? But to maybe put some other words to it, right? Because love is everything. It's the ground of our being. It's what we're made of. It's the essence of 
what holds the universe together, what holds all of creation together. And, you know, I believe that God is love and we are made in God's image. We are love. Like love is everything. It's, it's the, it's the only thing that we're ever really doing anything for. It's either an act of love or a cry for love. And so essentially, um, you know, we're born just having this essence of love and this need for love. And when we're kids, at some point along the way, uh, our needs are not met. And we have this feeling that we are not loved or that we are unworthy of love or whatever, just this, this aspect that our needs didn't actually get met. And some of us are conscious of it and some of us are not conscious of it. But a lot of times, whatever, um, they say your uh, childhood deprivations become your adult obsessions. <laughs> and that's really true, right? Like we are all just kind of replaying out our childhood trauma over and over again in the context of our adult relationships, whether it be at work, in our partnerships, with our kids, whatever it might be. Um, and again, the only way to let that go is to love it first, to bring it out of the darkness into the light and actually realizing with appreciation where this came from and how this has been trying to serve you by getting your needs met, by, it, by being a cry for love or an act of love right? And so beyond just using the word love, what are we asking for when we have a cry for love? So I think that it kind of comes down to, we want to be good and we want to know this about ourselves and we want it to be mirrored, seen, and witnessed by other people. We want it to be reflected back to us that other people see us in this way as good. The same applies to all the rest of these words that I'm going to use, but that you are good, that you are safe, that you are enough. And by enough, I mean, there's no deficit in you. There's nothing that you are not yet that you need to be. You're just essentially perfect. You are enough. You are sufficient. Uh, You are autonomous, meaning you have the internal resources within yourself to do anything you want to do, get your needs met, all of this. And this is a something that we're born with. It's a need. It's a fundamental human need to feel like you are enough, that there's no deficit in you, that you are autonomous, that you are sufficient. You are free. <laughs> That's the essence of love, not to be controlled. Control is the opposite of love. It's, it's rooted in fear, right? Fear is the opposite of love and control is the way that we try to resolve our fear. So to be free is to be loved, to hold somebody in their own freedom. That's why we have free will. That's why God gave us free will, right? Be out of love because you can't not be free and be loved. And this other one, I struggle to put just one word to it, but that you are pleasing joy. <laughs> that you bring me joy. When I love you, I'm saying you you bring me pleasing joy. It pleases me just to be with you. You bring me joy just to be yourself. And that you need that within yourself. This need for pleasure and for joy is the need for love. And so pleasure we've been talking about for a, f- a few episodes back. It's it's huge. 
we're life is meant to be pleasurable, right? But there's many different types of pleasure, you know? Um, but the need as kids, we have this, like to, the need to be creative and generative and playful and to have pleasure in our lives. And a lot of us really um, think we've outgrown that somehow, <laughs> or we, we block off this part of ourselves, right? As, um, oh, that's childish, or, oh, you know, I'm too busy for that, and productivity over pleasure, right? So in the context of parts work or internal family systems um, created by Richard Schwartz, I'm going to share a little bit about the different parts of us that he talks about. And I want to start off, first of all, by talking about this concept of the ego versus yourself or your true self. So he talks about the self as being a capital S self, like your true self versus, I don't want to say necessarily your false self, but the way other people perceive you to be. Um, your true self is the essence of what you're born with. It is the essence of love. Some people might call it your soul. Some people might call it your spirit. If you don't believe in those terms, you could just call it yourself with a capital S. <laughs> so you don't have to take on any specific religious or spiritual belief to try to benefit from this framework. So, but I want to differentiate here between um, the self versus the ego. So the ego is essentially anything uh, that is not your true self. Your ego is the part of you like that is your personality. It's the mask that you wear um, to move through the world. It is the part of you that protects you and helps you to get your core needs met is your ego. So your ego is how other people understand you. Um, usually very rarely do other people get an insight into our true self, usually just the people closest to us, right? Everybody else just kind of interacts with your ego. And a lot of times we get to the point where we only know ourselves as our ego and not as our true self. So I would use this metaphor. This is not from Richard Schwartz, but this is just kind of what makes sense to me in terms of trying to explain what is what is the ego versus the self. And so it's almost like um, a lot of us have grown up our entire lives or almost our entire lives now with um, being on the internet, right? Like having some type of an online presence. <laughs> and, you know, people have talked about this word, like you have your own brand, right? Like companies have their brand, which is like their forward facing way that the public understands them, like, and that you have your own brand. And like, you know, you got to always be working on your brand if you're like representing yourself in the in the marketplace or like getting a job or whatever it might be. Like, it, it's almost like you have your own brand and that's your ego. Um, or it's like your online avatar, right? So like when we first learned the, okay, I want to get online, like I want to get on social media, or if you were born before that, for me, I was probably got on the internet a la 1997. And it was like, okay, create your username and password, and you're going to get on AOL Instant Messenger and yada, yada. And so you're like, ooh, what should I, what should I make my screen name, right? And it's something like, ooh, but it has to represent me like, I, I want it to be something, you know, that is kind of fun or coy or gets people's attention or rep it represents me in some way, shape or form. But you are not your username, right? You are not your Instagram bio, right? You are not your online presence. It can't possibly um, encapsulate or reflect who you are, yet it represents you in this world of being online. 
And this is what our ego does here in just like, you know, our three-dimensional reality here, interacting with other people, you know, what, what we would call in real life, right? Not online, but in real life, you know? Um, but that's kind of what your ego is. And so you're not born with, with your ego yet, but the same way that you learned that you needed to get online or you wanted to get online, at some point as a little child, you learned, okay, it's time, it's, I'm interacting in real life here. And what are kind of the rules of this system? Like, okay, you got to create, create your username. You got to create your avatar. You got to pick your profile picture. Do you want to put a filter on that? Um, you know, what do you want? What are your interests? What are you going to list here um, on your Facebook interests? What do, what groups are you going to join? Um, and you know, in real life, it's like, okay, what are what are your hobbies? Where do you want to go to college? You know, all of these different things that like we just kind of learn. Like, this is the system. This is what you need to kind of create about your forward facing self, about your brand, about your avatar, moving through this world to kind of play the game, and also to get your needs met. And so, when you're a very young child, it's not so much about your identity or your self-concept yet that that happens you know as you become an older child and especially as a teenager but when you're a very young child it's more about getting your core needs met who do mommy and daddy want me to be what behaviors am i getting scolded for versus what behaviors am i getting praised for and that forms your ego as a child it's about you know i it's either an act of love or a cry for love and so what do i need to adjust about myself and my behavior, my thoughts, feelings, emotions, how I express myself in this world in order to get my need for love met. Meaning I want to be seen as good. I want to be safe. I want to know that I'm enough. Um, I want to feel free. Um, and I want to have pleasure and joy, right? And so we very quickly and intelligently learn what parts of ourselves to make forward-facing and what parts of ourselves we just need to suppress or keep quiet or ignore or avoid, right? So that's kind of this idea of the capital S self versus the ego or the personality, right? And so in internal family systems or parts work from Richard Schwartz, he talks about the self. And, you know, I'm sure some of you are thinking, well, how do I know what is my true self? And how do I know what is my ego or what I've kind of, um, agreed to as my brand or my avatar or whatever. So this is really, really helpful um, to maybe like pause the podcast, take some notes or whatever, because it's kind of a goal to like, you want to move towards what you want to be more often, right? Have an approach goal instead of an avoid goal, right? And so, yeah, we do want to be operating in our true selves, right? We want to show up and be authentic and that's the only kind of love that really suffices, right? Otherwise, it's just a continuous cry for love because it's not truly satisfying because we're, if we're not authentic, then we can't be really seen and witnessed and mirrored as good, safe, enough, free, you know, a pleasing joy to other people. If it's just that we think our, our personality or our mask or our avatar is the one getting love instead of our true self, then it's always going to be like this endless thirst that will never be quenched. So we do want to move more towards operating out of our true self more often. And I love these adjectives that he uses. They're called the eight C's and the five P's because they all start with those letters. 
So they're easy to remember, but again, you know, pause the podcast and, and write them down. Um, and then just kind of ask yourself like, oh, interesting. Like how often am I really operating out of these states, you know? Um, and instead of necessarily right away saying like, okay, I need to do this more. Just try to notice when you are actually doing that and to celebrate yourself for that because whatever we reward, we will repeat. And so sometimes again, it's just having some self-awareness, but here's the eight C's compassion, creativity, curiosity, connectedness, courage, confidence, clarity, and calm. So whenever we are operating out of one of these eight C's, that is a strong indicator that we are in our true self in that moment. The, the soul, our spirit, our highest self, our best self, like whatever, whatever type of language really resonates the most for you, the part of you that is made in God's image and came into this world having these inherent attributes as part of you. That's your self. And so when you find yourself operating in any one of these eight C's, you're in self. And that's awesome. And you want to acknowledge yourself for that. Um, And then there's also five P's. Presence, persistence, perspective, playfulness, and patience. So the same thing. And when I work with my clients and uh, help them to understand the concept of parts work, and um, there's a lot more to it that we're going to still get into. But one thing that I like to have them do is reflect on how often they are operating out of self and just to actually notice it. And so sometimes just keeping a little note in your phone or write this down in your journal or your planner or whatever. And if you like to do a check-in in in the morning, like a gratitude practice in the morning, or you sit with a cup of coffee in the morning or in the evening before you go to bed, um, to just kind of scan this list and to try to think of any moments in the day or in the last 24 hours when you were in self. So at work, what did you do yesterday? You know, what at work, did you have any moments of any of these eight C's or these five P's? when you were interacting with your kids or your partner or any family members or friends, did you have any moments of operating out of one of the eight C's or one of the five P's and write that down. And that's so fantastic. Celebrate yourself for that. And so the more that you actually already acknowledge when you're doing it, then your brain, you're going to naturally prime your brain to do it more often right? And sure, certainly there's value in saying like, okay, what kind of activities can I add to my life or what things can I remove from my life for sure um, to try to make more space, right? What can I remove from my life to try to make more space for some of these things, right? Or what can I add to my life? Um, A creativity practice or just time to exercise your curiosity, like research whatever happens to be on your brain. Like, um, what ways can I create more calm in my life? Right? For sure, for sure. There's so much value in, in those things. But I think a lot of times what we're doing here is we're like already operating out of deficit mode, right? Um, uh, under the assumption of like, I don't have enough of this and I need more of it and I need to work to do it, right? So, please don't start there. I know that's the temptation. Start with how are you already doing these things? Notice your true self. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what parts of us exist other than our true self? Okay. So let's talk about that. So in internal family systems from Richard Schwartz, he talks about our exiled parts 
and our protector parts. So our exiled parts, we've kind of referenced this a little bit, like in childhood is when this starts, that we learn these are the parts of us that are unacceptable. These are the parts of us that are proving to be problematic or are creating some type of obstacle to us getting our needs met. So a lot of us have parts of ourselves that are like a wounded inner child part, um, or maybe just a part of us that we learned, um, yeah, it's just unacceptable, right? So a lot of times sexuality has a lot to do with this, um, any kind of like angry parts, right? Uh, rebellious parts, <laughs> things like this. So I'll just be honest and share mine, right? Because it's not always a part of you that is... Um, yeah, we, it's not always a negative part of you, right? Like we tend to think like, okay, yeah, so I learn not to um, let the negative parts of me because nobody likes the negative parts of me. So I just put those away. But I'm going to share with you one of them that I kind of looked at it as negative and another one that um, I, I definitely don't think is negative, yet it was um, something that I felt like I had to exile in myself. So I had a pretty um, chaotic childhood, Um in my home, a lot of the times it was calm, but then like out of nowhere, uh, it would be like both my parents were alcoholics. And so it would go from like, I'm just a kid moving about my day. And then all of a sudden there's screaming, there's violence, the police are being called to my house. And like, you never really knew when it was going to happen. And so it was really, really scary for me to see my parents be angry with each other. Because I never saw anger expressed in a healthy way. Like to actually just say, hey, when you did blah, 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 you know, like I felt this way and here's my request. <laughs> you know, like this is like healthy conflict communication. I had never seen this in my life, right? And I'm just a kid and I didn't know that other people's homes were not this way, right? Um, but I, it was just my, it was the air I breathed. It, it was the, the normal environment or what I thought was normal that I just lived in, right? And so as a kid, I equated anger with being bad and scary. Anger meant out of control. There was no difference to me between being angry and being out of control and completely unsafe and chaotic and scary. And so I exiled my anger. And it was really, really hard for me as an adult, and I actually learned this about myself through the Enneagram, um, was probably the first tool that I came across, learning that I had anger, right? But I couldn't call it that. I was literally so like blocked from thinking of myself as having anger because I had literally exiled this part of me. It was so unacceptable to me to think of myself as angry that I just blocked it out, completely suppressed it. Now, if you asked me if I ever felt frustrated, I would be like, oh yeah, the word anger, I would be like, no, I don't really get angry. You know, <laughs> if you ask me if I ever felt resentful, I'd be like, oh, hell yeah. You know, I feel resentful, right? But anger, I was like, no, anger is bad. Like, I didn't say it out loud. It was just such a strong connection for me. And so I never, um, and for me, the solution to not getting angry, right? Or not letting yourself lose control was just like, just go along, you know? Like, just don't make it a big deal, whatever. Um, kind of this like compliant surrender was kind of the tool that I would use most of the time. And 
that would equate to a lot of resentment, right? As you can imagine. But I would stuff the resentment and usually kind of take it out of myself with just some form of self-soothing the resentment instead of actually communicating, (laughs) right? So for me, that was a negative part of myself that I exiled, or at least I thought of it as a negative part of myself. More of a positive part of myself that I exiled was being playful and spontaneous. And so as a kid, I, I don't remember being playful or spontaneous very often. Um, I remember playing quietly by myself very often. Um, I played with my sister, right? But if we ever got into any kind of conflict, um, it was just it would instantly cause my parents to fly off the handle. Like their nervous systems couldn't handle our conflict. And like now as a parent, I totally understand that. (laughs) But they didn't have the tools, right? And so if they perceived that we were having a fight with one another or conflict or one of us would go tattle or complain or whatever, there would not be any kind of healthy conflict resolution. Like it's not like they were trying to help us figure it out or even it wasn't like, you know, even just like, okay, you two get out of my face and figure it out together. It was just instantaneous, like fly off the handle, scream, um, spanking both of us, like this type of a thing. Like, so being playful even, like, because I think like natural conflict in playing with your siblings or whatever, like even that became kind of dangerous to me. And definitely being spontaneous felt extremely dangerous to me because spontaneity is the opposite of like predictability, order. And so like, because I guess I had a negative connotation with spontaneity, which is just like, let's just decide at the last second, or, you know, it can just shift in any moment. Like for me, that was like, no, it's scary when things shift in the moment. Like if I can't predict what's going to happen and I don't have order in my atmosphere, like I, I craved calm so much. And to me, um, spontaneity was not calm. So I never really had any positive experiences of spontaneity. I only had negative experiences of spontaneity. And so that was a part of me that I exiled, right? And so our exiled parts exist. And a lot of times we're not even aware of them. Yet they show up a lot of times as a cry for love. And they show up a lot of times as um, self-sabotage, right? So there's a very good part of us the assumption here is that every part of you is good. There are no bad parts because you can't possibly be bad. You are good. Everything about you is good. That's your inherent nature. That's your capital S self, right? And so anything about you that you consider to be bad is not bad. It's either an act of love or it's a cry for love, right? And so just because that behavior or that way that that part of you expressed itself in some way, shape or form was rejected by someone else, it does not mean that it's bad. It is loving you and it is serving you by trying to get your needs met. And so even the parts of us that are exiled, they're beneath the level of our conscious awareness, but they are still working on your behalf. They're still speaking up at very <laughs> inconvenient times, it seems, right? And they're uh, your very good reasons for being inconsistent, right? So um, episode 97 is called Good Reasons to Be Inconsistent. And I go into this and I explore like this concept. And I talk about this a lot if you've been around here for a while, but I call it intelligent resistance. I learned that from my life coach, Simone Soul. And intelligent resistance is basically the assumption that everything about you is good. And so you always have a good reason for doing everything that you're doing. And so when you're resisting something, it's not self-sabotage in the sense that you're trying to hurt yourself or harm yourself. You're trying to love yourself. It's intelligent. There's a wisdom about it. And the wisdom is rooted in love. 
that it's either an act of love or it's a cry for love. And so a lot of times what, what needs to happen is just to recognize and validate this part of yourself, to listen to what it is asking of you and show curiosity about why it is asking this of you and how are you feeling out of alignment with love? How is this a cry for love or how is this an act of love? And so a lot of times we will intelligently resist the reasons for our own weight loss because there is a very wise part of us that knows that something about this reeks of bullshit, right? It reeks of, I'm not enough. It reeks of, I'm not good. It reeks of, you know, I'm not free. (laughs) And so we will intelligently resist all of that. And it's usually our exiled parts that are the ones that are like the most rebellious, right? Because they're the part of you that just so desperately is crying out for love. Like they want to be reintegrated back into you because it's so good. It's a very good part of you. Hmm. So the way to resolve self-sabotage from the exiled parts is to reintegrate them. So then we have protector parts. And this is such a helpful concept right? Again, remembering it's not self-sabotage, it's self-protection and it's self-love. So these are probably the parts of yourself that you're going to (laughs) recognize. The exiled parts, it's hard. It's hard to try to figure that out, right? Um, And working with a coach or a therapist is so valuable in working with the exiled parts because these are the parts that are like in your blind spot, literally, right? So a a very skilled practitioner at this can, can really help you. But the protector parts here, you're probably going to be like, okay, (laughs) I got this part. You know, like, yep, this checks. Okay. So the protector parts of you, he calls um, two different kinds of parts, the manager parts and the firefighter parts. So you could just say the manager or the firefighter if you want to, but sometimes you might think that you have multiple different kinds of manager parts and they come out at different times for different reasons um, with a different key behavior to help you manage or to help you firefight, but let's talk about what this means. So the manager is usually running the show most often. And the goal of the manager is to prevent you from getting triggered, meaning prevent you from getting um, out of your zone of emotional tolerance, right? We all have kind of like a window of tolerance that uh, our emotions can handle and that our nervous systems can handle, right? And so once we um, get out of the zone of where we can kind of tolerate, that's when our firefighter parts come in to resolve the trigger. So the manager is like, let's not get triggered. We're trying our best to prevent getting triggered or getting out of our um, zone of tolerance, either emotionally or like in your nervous system physically. And usually the way that the manager does this is to keep you distracted, right? And Uh, this doesn't necessarily look like a bad thing. Like it can look like very healthy, productive, efficient, (laughs) just good. It can look like a good thing, right? And um, it's not a bad thing. None of of these things are bad things. They're all good and they're all helpful and serving some kind of a purpose. So then there's the, the firefighter. So the firefighter comes in. Once you actually are triggered, it's like, oh shit, we need to restore balance here. Like it's gotten out of control, right? So the manager is keeping things under control. The firefighter comes out when things feel out of control, right? And so 
you could, we could talk about some behaviors here that you might equate with the manager and the firefighter, but I want to stress here that it's not actually about the behavior, but it's about the purpose that it is solving, right? So for some people, their manager is preventing them from getting triggered through eating, right? So maybe it's just a daily habit of mindless eating, emotional eating, eating to regulate your nervous system, whatever it might be. And that actually could be a behavior of your manager and or a behavior of your firefighter. So maybe you actually are the type of person, you're not distracting yourself every day with eating, but maybe working, workaholism is your manager's distraction method of choice. (laughs) And then still, you know, when you get dysregulated or when you get triggered, the firefighter comes out and puts out the fire with the fire hose of binge eating, right? So once again, it's not about the behavior because eating could be a behavior of the manager or the firefighter. It's about the purpose behind it. Are we trying to prevent the trigger and keep ourselves in the zone of tolerance? Or is the behavior coming out when we are out, feel out of control, we are already triggered and it's trying to bring us back into the zone of tolerance. So some other behaviors that you might identify with is working, right? Um, maybe some of us don't use working as a manager tendency, right? Um, actually, our lives feel kind of out of control. Maybe we don't have a lot of what we would consider to be self-discipline. But once things start to feel really out of control, the firefighter comes in and we finally get our shit together and we finally stop procrastinating and we do the working to try to get us back into the zone of tolerance. And then we play the whole game again and again and again, right? So again, not about the behavior, but about the purpose. But I know some people will probably identify with uh, working as a manager response and or maybe there will be some people who identify with it as a firefighter response. Um, same thing with like yelling or maybe even violence, right? So a lot of times yelling, maybe it could be that you're like, no, I don't want to yell. I don't want to yell at my kids, yada, yada, yada. And so the manager maybe uses something like nagging <laughs> or like perfectionism or like being a neat freak or just whatever. And so like, you know, I can really identify with this for sure. Like if I see my daughter playing in her room, I'll be like, okay, babe, like maybe like every, you know, 15 or 30 minutes, I'll be like, why don't we take a break and put away some of these toys, yada, yada, because I know that for me to stay in my zone of tolerance, I, I need to keep the clutter and the mess to a minimum because as soon as it starts to feel like a disaster area in her room, then I then I actually feel triggered and that's when I like would yell, right? I would be like, oh my God, you know, I've told you, you know, not to let this get this out of control. Or I would just kind of be like pissy or sassy or just whatever. Like I would feel really huffy, like, and my firefighter would come out in some way and maybe I would wind up self-soothing with food historically. And when I get into a situation like that, right. And so my manager would not be yelling, but my manager would definitely be like nagging and controlling in a situation like that. Right. But for other people, yelling might actually be a strategy of the manager. And and trying to um, be extremely calm would be uh, an apologizing or um, even like begging or um, kind of love bombing. Like if you yell regularly at the people that you love um, as part of a manager thing to prevent yourself from getting out of your zone of tolerance, yelling is your strategy. And then potentially, you know, sometimes people call this love bombing, but a lot of times, like if you feel like you have gone too far and you don't feel good about how you've treated people, you're trying to like bring it back into um, 
bring it back into balance, bring yourself back into the zone of tolerance. And maybe you will be like so overly apologetic or begging for forgiveness or kind of like putting yourself down um, or buying gifts for people or something like that. That could be um, a, man, a, a firefighter strategy, right? And so it seems like actually the manager would be operating with a behavior that feels a little bit more quote unquote out of control, like yelling. Um, and then the firefighter would be coming in with like a calm strategy. Um, and so it could feel a little bit backwards, but I just want to offer these as potential options because not everybody will always resonate with, okay, the manager is being the calm one most of the time. And the firefighter is being the one that's like acting wild. Right. And same thing with violence, right? So again, it's not about the behavior, but it's about the purpose that it is serving. The manager is trying to prevent you from getting triggered, usually with distraction, but it could be other things. Um, It's preventing you from getting outside of your window of tolerance. And then the firefighter is the one resolving you, resolving that trigger, bringing you back in once once you feel like it's gotten out of control. So with these protector parts, in order to resolve the self-sabotage, you want to reassign their job duties, right? So you will never not have a manager <laughs> or a firefighter, right? This is just part of being an alive human in the world. And and again, remember, this is just a construct. This is not like fact. This is not like objective reality that this is how everybody works and yada, yada. We're all just out here creating constructs and taking guesses at the nature of consciousness and the nature of personality and the nature of ego and reality and yada, yada, yada. And so I happen to really like this construct because I find it helpful. Um, but you know, if, if you're not liking it, it's not about whether it's true or false. It's about whether it's helpful or not helpful, right? So I find this language to be really, really helpful. Um, and so again, remember, in order to let something go, you have to love it first. So when the manager or the firefighter comes out to be thankful, to show appreciation for the ways that this behavior of the manager or this behavior of the firefighter is in some way good because it is either an act of love or a cry for love, to show gratitude and appreciation for where it came from, why it is operating. And when we can, show, when we can talk back to this part of ourselves, operating as our higher self. Um, And a lot of times I like to use this metaphor of like your capital S self is the CEO of all of your other parts, right? The CEO, you're the CEO of all the other voices in your head, right? Or maybe you are, if it helps you, the loving parent of all of these kids, right? Like you're having a family meeting. Um, Some people don't like that because they didn't have that model to them. And so they don't like to call it like the loving parent. Um, But, you know, maybe you'll identify more with the CEO if you, uh, maybe if you don't have any wounding around (laughs) bad leadership, right? So we all have our language that we're going to relate to the most. But essentially that your capital S self has the ability to have loving leadership. Um, Loving, I want to use the word dominion, but I don't want to use it in like a grasping for control or an overpowering type of way. But you do have power to not be limited by these parts of yourself. And so it's like when you create your online presence and you get so wrapped up in what other people think of your online presence, 
right? And you see yourself more as this online presence than you do as like your real life self. And this happens. And especially it happens to kids, you know? Um, But it can happen to all of us. And it happens to us in our real life because you are not uh, the avatar of your ego. You are so much more than that. But a lot of times we just can only see ourselves as our ego. And your ego is not ever meant to limit you. It's, it's meant to serve you, not for you to serve it, right? And so while it might just be part of human nature and the reality of living in this world on this plane of existence, it's the case is that you have an ego, right? And you know, in people, when people have like near-death experiences or psychedelic experiences, which I experienced this in my psychedelic experience, you get like a break from your ego for the first time, right? And then you realize what it actually is and who you really are behind that. That was a very profound experience that I had. But you don't have to have an altered state of consciousness in order to at least rationally assent to this framework. I definitely rationally believed in this framework before experiencing it directly, right? But I feel like I had a direct experience of my capital S self, and that was all that there was. It was just complete compassion, creativity, connectedness, clarity, calm, presence, perspective, playfulness, you know, all of those things. Like that was all there was (laughs) when the ego was lifted temporarily. And what was super interesting about it is that at a certain point, I wanted to come back to my ego. Like I wanted to come back out of the infinite into the finite because the ego is familiar. The ego is the way that I can interact in this finite existence. And I mean, it sounds, it, I wanted to be with my husband again. I wanted to be with my daughter again. And so while I was in the infinite, I definitely felt like just the intense bliss of existing in the capital S self without the ego. And yet I wanted to go back, right? Because being in the ego is kind of like creating your username <laughs> and your profile picture and yada, yada. It is a, it's a gift that allows you to move through this world and have relationships and accomplish meaningful things, right? So it's not a bad thing. It is, it's the, the doorway through which you get to interact with this world, the same way that your online presence is the doorway through which you get to interact with this like sub world. Yeah. Yeah. So remember to wrap it up here that everything is either an act of love or a cry for love. And why are we talking about this? Because in your weight loss journey, you will always have the opportunity to move through with the energizing spirit of fear, which is in other words is control, right? Um, Or the energizing spirit of love. And a lot of times when we're moving through with the energizing spirit of fear and control, this is when we start to see self-sabotage come up. And by self-sabotage, really this is just self-protection. It's self-love. It is intelligently resisting some form of bullshit that is against the essence of our capital S self. And that is a very good thing. And so to resolve it, we want to ask ourselves like, okay, what kind of part is this of me? Where is this coming from? Is this a protector part? Is this my manager? Is this my firefighter? Could this be an exiled part? A part of me that I decided, well, consciously or unconsciously to disconnect 
from myself to repress, to put it into the shadow, right? Um, because I learned that it was just unacceptable or it, I learned that maybe it was not keeping me safe or it felt that way when in my little kid brain, right? It felt that way that in order to be good, in order to be safe, in order to be enough, in order to be free, in order to be pleasing or to be joy or have joy that I needed to not be this, right? And so where is it coming from? And then to show appreciation for it, the exiled part to try to reintegrate that into ourselves by connecting it back to the capital S self. And if it's a protector part, to be thankful. Thank you for the purpose that this is serving, but to reassign the job duties. So what do I mean by that? Um, So for the manager, one of my regular manager uh, behaviors to try to prevent me from getting triggered or out of my zone of tolerance, and it was a firefighter strategy as well, was eating. And I could see it as both a daily habit and also as like a big huge fire hose response when things would feel really out of control is usually when I would see not just like daily eating outside of my food boundaries, that would be like the manager type of thing, but like huge, you know, binge eating, almost feeling like self-punishing type of behavior. And then also, you know, not just binge eating was the firefighter response, but the firefighter response was like making this detailed plan of like how I was going to compensate and come back, you know, into alignment and yada, yada, yada. Right. So instead of Um, saying, you know, the manager is bad or the firefighter is bad or whatever, to show thankfulness and gratitude for the purpose that it was serving, even with those behaviors that ultimately were maladaptive, meaning like trying to be adaptive, trying to be helpful is what adaptive means, but maladaptive, meaning it's the opposite of helpful in the long run. So it's maladaptive, not helpful, (laughs) right? It's it's meant to be helpful. It's coming from a loving place, uh, either an act of love or a cry for love. But ultimately, in the long run, it is not truly loving behavior. And so when I could get in contact with my capital S self, that I was able to actually examine this and kind of be the loving parent to myself and be the CEO of all of my parts and all of my voices and to reassign the job duties of the manager and the firefighter and to focus a lot more on setting like healthy boundaries, on learning other ways to regulate my nervous system. We've been talking about a lot of these things on the podcast, right? But that's what I mean by reassigning the job duties. Yeah. So I hope I hope that this um, construct has been helpful for you guys. Um, again, it's called parts work or internal family systems, and it's something that I love to do with my clients. Um, I have been in therapy, um, specifically trauma therapy, most recently for the last couple of years, and my therapist does not do um, IFS or parts work with me. My husband's therapist does, and a lot of trauma informed therapists do. So you can, you know, try to go online and research therapists who practice internal family systems and see what you can come up with if you'd like to work with a practitioner like this. And there's also a lot of coaches who use this modality, and I'm one of them. Um, and so I would love to work with you. But also, you know, there's a lot of coaches who work under this type of modality if you'd like to work with somebody. But even if you don't want to work with somebody specifically on this, I I say that to say like my therapist doesn't use this with me and yet I learned about this on my own and it was so massively helpful for me. The modality that my therapist uses is called schema therapy and that's something that I would love to talk about on a on a future episode. So again, um probably the the parts to really start with here 
uh, I want to like give you some action points, right? Um, so protector parts, managers and firefighters, maybe try to identify what are the behaviors that my manager does to try to help me help prevent me from getting triggered. And then what are the behaviors that my firefighter does to try to bring me back into regulation when it's gotten out of control, when I'm actually triggered, it, it, it resolves the trigger. It brings me back into my window of tolerance. So what behaviors are those things for you so that you can start to recognize them and then show gratitude and potentially, hopefully, um, reassign those job duties. What would be not maladaptive, but actually adaptive, helpful, loving in the long run. And when you're doing this, it's not a good time to do it right after the firefighter has come out (laughs) or when your nervous system is dysregulated, right? You really want to get yourself into a place where you can try to connect with your capital S self, maybe do a meditation, maybe um, get your body physically relaxed, take a hot shower, take a bath, take a walk in nature, whatever it might be. Um, but really some time to carve out for self-reflection and start with, you know, the protector parts, the manager and the firefighter. And then from there, I would also say that you could totally do this on your own is connecting with the parts of your capital S self, writing down those eight C's, compassion, creativity, curiosity, connectedness, courage, confidence, clarity, and calm, and writing down the five P's, presence, persistence, perspective, playfulness, and patience. And then on a regular basis, so once a day, maybe just once a week, like actually looking back at your week and saying like, okay, when did I see these things come out? And celebrating them and recognizing them. And then you could also, you know, make some time to ask yourself, okay, what what can I release from my life to make more room for these? What can I add to my life to intentionally add more of this into my life. So thank you guys again. And I want to let you know that, you know, if you're like, okay, cool, I would love to work with a coach who offers this kind of um, modality because this is super helpful, really resonating with this. I want to go deeper. I would love to work with you and I would love to be a part of your journey. And I would love to be a part of helping you reintegrate all parts of yourself and really root your journey of weight loss in love and enjoyment and in pleasure. So you can head over to my website, theketofit.com and put in a request for a free curiosity call. And within the next week, we can jump on a zoom call together and get to know each other a little bit better and talk more about how we can work together. So I'm never any pressure. I'm not pushy. I'm not salesy because I believe that you are the expert on your life and I trust your intuition and I hope you trust your intuition as well. So it's definitely not like, hey, let me convince you. Oh, no, it's not like that whatsoever. It's just, you know, how are we getting along with each other? Is this feeling like a like a connection? Is this feeling like divine timing? Is this feeling um, like your intuition is and your body is like yelling, hell yes. <laughs> and if it's not, that's totally okay. I want it to be a hell yes. And I want it to be a hell yes for you. And I want it to be a hell yes for me. And if we do, then that will be absolutely fantastic. But regardless of whether it feels like a hell yes or not, you will get some kind of transformation, some kind of just blessing out of us talking, whether it's a mindset shift that I can help you make or whether it's a strategy shift that I can help you make. I promise that you will find it very, very helpful and enjoyable. So again, head on over to my website, theketofit.com, and I can't wait to talk with you. All right, you guys, I hope you have a fantastic week and I'll be back with you all next week.